Hi, this is Elliot Fishburne, and welcome to part two of Bloody Mess, Evaluation of Hematuria in the ER. And the first part, we spoke about some of the protocols, some of the principles, and also about renal tumors. So let's look beyond renal tumors. Polynephritis, very common. Usually imaging is not necessary, it's a clinical diagnosis, but at times it's not. Patients present with acute abdomen or abdominal pain or flank pain, no one's sure what's going on. We detect polynephritis. Patient has an FUO, we detect polynephritis. Or are we doing CT to look for complications of treated renal infection when the patients aren't getting better? Is there an abscess present? So usually, besides being in women, it's an E. coli infection. And the complications are more common in patients who are diabetic, elderly, or have a history of stone disease or GU abnormalities. Again, there are many presentations, and one would include microscopic hematuria. Things that we look for, changes in the renal contour, attenuation, even on non-contrast, the kidney can look edematous and swollen. When you give contrast, the attenuation is typically decreased, excretion is typically decreased, and you may see periaparanephric abnormalities. We also talk about on later phase imaging, usually a striated nephrogram. Example, left kidney looks large, funny pelvis, and this stranding. And you give IV contrast and look at that patchy enhancement. The areas of decreased enhancement, very classic for acute polynephritis. And you can see this again on the coronal view. The coronal, makes, the coronal view makes the point that sometimes it's focal, sometimes it's diffuse. You may see only the lower pole or maybe the upper pole or the mid pole. There's a lot of different appearances, but it can be somewhat challenging. Um, but you're going to reach the diagnosis. Things that can be confused, you're not going to confuse normal versus abnormal, but sometimes you may say, could this be an infarct rather than an infection? Sometimes it can be difficult to separate. Stranding is more helpful, but you can see that in both. But once you lose the patchy uh, appearance when things are less sharp, then we're thinking infection. And again, as you go through the phases from arterial to venous to delayed, the same pattern is seen. Now, I would have to admit, if you ask me what the single best phase for acute polynephritis is, I'd probably say delayed phase. All of the stuff with Bosniak and, and the striated nephrogram is late phase imaging, so perhaps late phase does best. I think at times in early phase imaging, you potentially can undercall acute polynephritis. But here, when you look carefully, you look at the cortical medullary interface on the left kidney, you see the zones of decreased enhancement. You see that here as well in the mid to lower pole. You see stranding. You know that's polynephritis. Sometimes it's much easier on the coronal where you get a more of a global perspective, and the cortical medullary interface perhaps is shown in a different perspective. So looking at the left kidney, you see multiple zones of decreased attenuation, and that's striated nephrogram. Easy diagnosis. Now, one of the things we speak about in the ER is the limitations of stone protocol type studies or non-contrast CT. You'll miss small tumors, you'll miss polynephritis at times, and you'll miss vascular pathology. So an example, transplant kidney, febrile patient. Kidney was a bit large, but not significantly compared to prior studies. But when you give contrast, look at that patchy enhancement classic polynephritis on the axial report, classic polynephritis on the coronal views. And whether you looked at the early phase imaging or the late phase imaging, 
the patchy enhancement was classic for acute polynephritis. So at times, as I showed you before, you can make the diagnosis or suggest it a non-contrast CT, but it's the contrast-enhanced studies that make it best. Now, I mentioned one of the things that CT is very good for is for complications like abscesses. Abscesses, low density, thickened wall, things go beyond the kidney commonly, gerotus fascia, perinephric extension. They can be single, they can be multiple. Cystic lesions like this, you may think about a cystic renal cell. So I'll make the point that abscesses at times can simulate tumors. We've said the same thing before in the liver, but the kidney as well. If I don't give you a history here of fever, you're thinking about a cystic renal cell carcinoma with stranding in the perirenal space. Here it is again. You have that thickened rim, and again, infection's a choice, but it's not the only choice. And again, here we go through the 3D renderings, and here we go to excretory phase imaging. So again, cystic tumors can overlap. It's not always going to be an obvious cystic renal cell or an abscess that can be overlap, and that's an important thing to remember. Another example in this patient, left kidney, there's a cystic lesion, large, low density with contrast, large, low density, there's a septation, some striations, maybe a pseudocapsule. This obviously is not going to be confused with a renal cyst, but if I pushed you and said, could this be a renal cell carcinoma? I'm not sure you can say 100% no way. Could it be a papillary that's necrotic? It's possible. This was a renal abscess. Now, I always like to talk about some of the unusual infections. The anthrogranulomus polynephritis, besides being the only X word, besides X-ray I know, is a great example. Large kidney, staghorn calculus, lack of function, and often commonly will extend beyond the kidney. It can be focal, though usually involves the entire kidney. Look at the multiple calculi and the dilated calyces in this patient. Beautiful example of xanthrogranulomatous polynephritis. And here it is, you do have a little bit of function in their right kidney on the late phase imaging. Some of the facts, it's a chronic destructive granulomatous process, results from a typical incomplete immune response to a subacute infection. Only about 10% of diabetic, we think of renal abscess, you think of diabetes, but that's not XGP. Pyuria, positive cultures, and hematuria are all common. Typically, the largest staghorn calculus is in the renal pelvis. There's an inflammatory process usually just in the kidney, but it can extend to involve the psoas. You may see decrease or absent renal function. Kidneys are enlarged, and it may have extra-renal disease, particularly muscle particularly involvement of the psoas muscle. We wrote this article a lifetime ago, presenting signs and symptoms, pain, frequency, dysuria, palpable mass, and fever. And in the old days, no one thought of XGP. The patient was going into surgery for, we don't know why the patient has pain or fever, FUO, and they'd find the psoas abscess and XGP of the kidney. Another example, stone left kidney, but look at that big set of staghorn calculi in the right kidney. Beautiful example, classic for XGP. Look at the calyces on this MIP image. Just a beautiful example. And here you can see that the patient's XGP, big cystic changes to upper two-thirds of right kidney. The lower third's okay. There's also thickening around the left renal pelvis. And here is some of the cinematic to show you the decreased function and the deformity of the calyces, particularly not only the right side, but the upper pole calyx. 
markedly dilated and ballooned out. And again, you can see very nicely that cinematic may prove to be valuable in these patients in terms of looking at the three-dimensional structure of the calyces. And again, here you can see the stretching of the vessels and lack of function of the upper two-thirds of the right kidney. Just a very nice example. Here's another XGP, very classic, big kidney, multiple cystic spaces, which were the calyces. And look at the right paraspinal muscle. You see inflammation of the right psoas, but it's the paraspinal muscles that particularly show you the abscesses present. And that's a classic presentation, flank pain, XGP with psoas abscess. Beautiful example in this patient. Look at the extent going straight through the uh, abdominal wall. These things can go, they can present with fistulae. These patients will be drained surgically. Again, it was often a surprise diagnosis, but I saw a case a couple of weeks ago, so you're not gonna, you are gonna see them. Another thing, emphyseminous polynephritis, life-threatening necrotizing infection of the kidneys, characterized by gas within or around the kidneys. Here, unlike XGP, the patients do have diabetes, Typically, uh, non-diabetic patients are immunosuppressed or have urinary tract obstruction. Typical organism for emphyseminous polynephritis, E. coli is still up there, but Klebsiella and Proteus are choices. What do you see? It varies from a little bit of air in the pelvis and calyces to some air in the cortex to massive destruction. And this happens very, very quickly. Look at this example. There's some function to the left kidney, but most of the left kidney is gone and is necrotic. Here are some more images more inferior. Look at the right kidney, look at the left. Look at the extent of that involvement. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that some things are easy to miss, and I mentioned vascular processes. Patient with hematuria, I don't see anything in the right kidney or the left kidney for that matter. Here's the coronal view. But what's going on in the arterial view? There's a large vascular process by the right renal hilum. There's arterial to venous shunting. There's a large right AV malformation. That's the cause of hematuria. This patient was getting scoped and they were biopsying it and was just bleeding. Fortunately, someone got a CT and they knew the answer. And these renal pathologies are so easy to miss. Here's a great example of that same patient. The coronal, I guess you should say it's full in the lower third of the kidney, but there it is. Very, very simple to make that diagnosis. Article by Carafello, renal AVMs are rare, but may be acquired or congenital. I've seen a few acquired in patients who've had ablation. That's one of the uh, possibilities. And again, it's, it's a lesion to think about because hematuria is the major and most common symptom. So it is one of the causes of hematuria. You can see that, look at this example. When you look at the non-contrast, you gotta say the renal veins look big. What's going on there? And then when you look at the delayed, look at the size of the renal veins. And what's that in the renal pelvis? Okay, is that more vascular? Is it parapelvic cyst? Is it a tumor? And again, here it is, the excretory phase. What is going on there? Those just parapelvic cysts or something more? Well, when you give IV contrast and you get the early imaging, look at the size of right and left renal veins, look at the pelvis, look at the calyces, look at the flash filling into the IVC. Beautiful 3D images showing you this process with the uh, vascular changes, uh, the large venous structures, and the AV shunting uh, from the patient's uh, uh, 
patient's vascular structures. Now again, it's easy to miss that without IV contrast material and we're able to see it. Now when I speak about inflammatory disease and vascular disease, I gotta speak about infarcts. Trauma is a possibility, embolism is very common, catheters, sickle cell, acute renal vein thrombosis, though that's rare, vasculitis. When we talk about renal infarcts, it can be global or can be segmental. Segmental is more common. I gave a talk recently showing segmental infarcts in patients post-TAVRS, so procedures are commonly associated. Um, you can see both acute and chronic renal infarcts present, and symptoms range anywhere from flank pain to FEO to hematuria. As I mentioned, focal versus global involvement. Symptoms are usually acute presentation. Chronic renal infarct may be seen with small kidneys. So here's an example. Look at the patient's right kidney. You see the decreased enhancement? And if you look a little bit more carefully, you see the patient's right renal artery has a thrombus in it. This patient, I think, had endocarditis, and they were flipping emboli. They flip one to the renal artery. Fortunately for the patient, they had two right renal arteries, and so saved a lot of the kidney. But you can see wedge shape, sharply marginated. And now you see the clot or filling defect in the patient's uh, right renal artery. Just a beautiful example. Okay, right there. Renal infarct, left kidney, another patient, wedge-shaped, poorly defined, uh, stranding around the kidney, classic renal infarct. Again, you could think, how can I say that's not polynephritis? I guess it can be tricky because pilo can be segmental, but usually it's not so discreet, but it can be. Uh, again, history can be helpful, but it can be somewhat of a challenge. Here's the MIP imaging very nicely showing you the infarct. Um, here's another patient, chest CT first. Look at this, patient has a uh, clot in the patient's left atrium and the patient has anomalous origin of the right coronary artery in a malignant configuration. You scan into the abdomen, look at the patient's kidney. Look at the infarction. At the level of renal hilum, it looks like the entire left kidney is infarcted, but it's only portions of the kidney. Beautiful example of looking at the vascularity. We talk about infarct when vessels are missing. This patient had a complicated course of aortic aneurysm repair and reimplantation of the patient's renal artery on the left, but now you don't see the left renal artery and you see the kidney on the coronals, and there's the kidney, small, atrophic, and poorly functioning. So again, um, we can look at that carefully, but sometimes it can be challenging, but most of the time it's not hard. This example is a big infarct and you have the rim enhancement, sort of the rim sign we talk about. Okay, so that was infection, that was infarction. Let's complete this by looking at the bladder. Bladder cancer, 72,000 plus new cases in the year in the US, most of transitional cell carcinomas. We talk about the accuracy of CT, and I think the accuracy is dependent very much on the protocol. Do you distend the bladder or not? If you don't distend the bladder, you'll miss everything. But if you do, you'll find essentially everything. So this article showed, when done correctly, very, very high negative predictive value. Now sometimes the tumors are easy. Look at the mass in the bladder, large, vascular. There it is with some contrast in the bladder. Well shown, no matter how you look at it, bladder cancer. Here it is, coronal. Sometimes it can be trickier. One of the things we wrote about is the fact that we pick up a lot of incidental bladder cancers because we're looking on our fast injections for very small vascular blushes in the uh, bladder. 
And so look at this, le this lesion at about 7 o'clock. It's a subtle blush. That was a transitional cell. There it is. Look at this case, a small bleed posterior bladder wall from a bladder lesion at about 7 o'clock. This patient had episodes of hematuria uh, after, but uh, look how obvious this active bleed is. Just a very, very nice example. Okay, Beautiful example. Again, it can be a challenging diagnosis if you're not careful. Surely if you don't do the contrast correctly, you're going to have a problem. Another example here. Um, look at the patient's uh, blood in the patient's um, pelvis, in the patient's bladder, rather. Uh, what you can see from this case, both in the 3D and the axial, is that sometimes you can see active bleeding, but it's not that common. And you see the high density in the bladder, and as long as you're not fooled by, by IV contrast excretion, that's bladder hemorrhage. When you have excretory phase, you have filling defects. Yes, it could be fungal disease. More commonly, it's blood clots. And if a patient has sickle cell and all the patients are getting scanned, filling defects may be nothing significant. So we've covered infection, we've covered inflammation, we've covered tumors. Um, at the end of the day, hematuria flank pain are common clinical presentations. Age of patient and clinical history may be helpful in, in the coming up with the best protocol and the best diagnosis. Limited phase imaging in the ER setting is usually a challenge, means just get one venous phase or something and try to make up all the information can be challenging. Communication between ER doc and radiology doc is critical to make sure the patients who slip through the cracks are treated correctly, that patients' uh, information is given to them. If there's a follow-up for hematuria or there's an exam they need to get, we need to be very careful to make sure our patients are getting all the information they do, and again, it's a matter of managing it in your scenario, but hopefully the protocols will make our detection of disease a whole lot easier. And of course, the radiologists and neurologists, you may want to speak to make sure you're on the same page, like when to do multi-phase studies, three-phase or four-phase, what to do when, and I think if you put all that together, you're going to do a great job. And by now, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye.